Well, no road racing over the weekend as road racing starts to wind itself down. You're watching the Greg's Garage. You're watching. You're watching your phone and listening to the Greg's Garage pod with co-host Jason Pridmore, presented by Bike911.com. Make sure you go check out Bike911.com if you need some legal advice. If it's a motorcycle matter, you definitely want to check out Alex Asante. He's a rider. He's going to listen to all your woes. Bike911.com. Now I'm going to bring in my boy, my duo, the main man with the master plan. Straight from the racetrack, Jason Pridmore, what is up, guy? What is up, G-Dub? How you doing? How's your week? Ah, oh, the week's pretty good so far. You know, I can't <clears> believe it's already <throat> Wednesday, though. Things ripping by, Jay. I have got to get up to Hudson Valley Motorcycles. When this podcast is over, I'm going to be leaving soon. I got to return the Ducati Multistrada V4S. It, Are you doing I'm that gonna, today? Are you driving up there today or tomorrow? I'll either leave like tonight your, or yeah, yeah I'll, I'll probably start in the morning and then I'm going to actually hit the mid-Atlantic uh, back roads trails called the BDR route and then go up to Pennsylvania and then I'm going to pick up our boy Jeff Wheel uh, from Arai. He's got to test a, a helmet or something like that and we're going to ride up to the dealership from there. Oh, and then, that's awesome. He's going to go with you, huh? Yeah, I'll pick him up in um, <clears throat> like Allentown, PA or something like yep. that. So I'll make a two-day trip out of it. I probably won't be up there till Friday. So yep, oh, I heard you great. saw our boy. Just, you see our boy Richie over the weekend, though, right? Oh yeah, Nike. It's Chuck Wall is being invaded by New Yorkers now. <laughs> so <clears throat> it's great. Uh, they they ended up buying a garage out there. So I think the idea is to be able to get a bunch of people's bikes from the East Coast out to Chuck Walla during the winter and having a garage that they can store their bike in. So Richie actually bought the garage that's I think about four down from me. And, um, we got quite the crew because we got, we got Kevin there in number two, obviously he bought one and two now. So Kevin and oh, he does own one, one too. Okay, cool. <clears throat> Richie Millman's in three. Yep. I'm in four. Simon's in five. And then Richie, I think is in seven or eight. And then, uh, the grants, you know, Liam Grant and, and yeah. Jason, his dad, they're in the one right next door. And then Dale's got his, so it's like, it's a pretty big motorcycle community out and out there right now that continues to grow. We were just out there on the weekend. I, I barely got home from Europe, Greg, and had time to do my laundry before I was back out at Chuckwalla for our opening uh, kind of for the year for us. And I was slammed on Saturday, slammed on Sunday, and then Monday just rode, and then it got a bit windy. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even think you know what I'm doing today, do you? No, I don't yeah. know. I mean, you and I, have we, we've really been out of touch for almost three weeks other than the podcast, a couple of yeah, texts. It's been awesome. What are, you, what are you doing today, guy? It's been awesome. Um, Shut up. <laughs> You're so stupid. Um, Simon Simon has a sickness. Did you know that? Yeah, of course yeah, I he's do. he's got a sickness. So Yeah. Oh, he's sick in the head, all right. So Ollie Co., uh, you know, works for Apple, and they're having an Apple track day at Thunder no Hill. Way. Yeah, on Thunder at Thunder Hill on Thursday. That's awesome. So it's it's so crazy because you know Simon catches wind of a track day and it's like everybody's dropping everything. The closest <laughs> thing I can say Simon is right now, he's probably the closest thing to MJ because MJ used to just be like um, it used to be like uh, Jason, what are you doing tomorrow? We'd be at a racetrack, you know, it'd be I'd be racing on a weekend and he'd say, "What are you doing tomorrow?" I'm like, "Well, I'm." probably driving my motorhome somewhere. He's like, I'll get somebody else to do that. We're going to go here. That's kind of like <laughs> Simon now. Simon's like, track day, where? Oh, I'll make it happen. So next thing you know, we've got Randy from 619 Knee Draggers. He's driving our stuff up. Me and Cole and Simon are all flying out tonight. We're flying out of uh, LAX up to Sacramento. And we're going to ride all day tomorrow and then fly home tomorrow night. Dude, that is awesome. So I haven't ridden Thunder Hill in a bunch of years, but... It's going to be a blast. So yeah, that, like, that, so that's a fun track. That, that that is a fun track. It challenges you. It throws a bunch of stuff your way, which I like. You it's know? so fun. Yeah, I remember you probably yeah. did some star schools with me up there a long time. I did. Ago, yeah, it's yeah, probably yeah. been ten years, or maybe it's, yeah, maybe it's been eight. a lot of years. And you know how you got to kind of go to that bus stop, top of the hill thing. Mm-hmm. In my, it's been so long in my mind. I dude, that's as tall as like you know, the empire state building. Like that's the way, like, I know, I know that like when I get there, it's not as bad, but I just, in my mind have this thing like, Oh my God, that's such a steep climb. It's such a gnarly corner. But I know if I saw it, I'd be like, Oh, that's it. Like no big deal. Uh, by the way, MJ who Jason's referring to is Michael Jordan. I, he didn't want to say the name out loud, you know, drop names on, on it. On I'm his not feet. on the air. I'm not on TV. I don't need to mention last names or first. Well, no, but I mean, you know, case. dude, 
we have a lot of stoners that listen to this broadcast. They probably think Got you're it. talking about Mary Jane. You know what I mean? That's a Maybe. little bit of the, you know what I mean? A little of the think? papaya. Huh? Well, so, so anyways, so we're flying up and <laughs> I, I, I guess the big question, I was going to do it towards the end of the podcast, but you might as well throw it out there. Yeah. I think the fast lap times, I think That's... the, fa- I know I don't do that often, but I, th- no. I, I believe, how about that? I believe the, fr- the fast lap times up there are around a minute 54. Somewhere in that area. I think Corey Ventura probably got down into the nines or the eights, maybe. I don't know. I have to look it up. I'm spouting. But maybe they did 48s, 49s, 50s somewhere. Where is uh, Kolb, where's Kolb's lap time? Well, hold on. Does he does he break does he break two minutes? Does he break two oh five? Okay, so according to a Cycle World <laughs> article from 2017, mm-hmm. uh, Josh Heron did a 147.25 at oh, 600. No, it had to be Superbike, right? 17? I don't remember. Oh, uh, because uh, it was Josh Hayes. Josh Hayes did a 47.3. Gerloff did a 47.64 on a Super Sport bike. Well, Andrew won up there this last weekend, and I think he got into the sevens, but he said he's done a six there. So. Okay. I mean, can oh, Cole can Cole lap get within records, fourteen seconds? Lap know. records AFM, right? Yeah, that would be. But we're doing a lot of research for this, aren't we? I mean, I guess. Already, <laughs> you know. Let's see. What would be the fastest class? Open superbike. Yeah, but just if you do six hundreds, I know Corey Ventura is flying up there right, right now. All right. So just to give you an idea, open superbike. Yeah. At Thunderhill yeah. is Jason Uribe nineteen mm-hmm. on a CBR one thousand RR at a forty six seven. According okay. to the AFM website. All right. So if we go to. Um, kind of similar lap times to Chuck Walla a little bit. 600 super stock. And if your theory is through, true, the yeah. greener it is, the worse Kolb is. So it needs to be very deserty looking and dry. Yeah. yeah. Like and not a lot of. Hey, hey, you know, he could. Has he been to Thunder Hill before? No, he's never seen the place. Oh, but God. All right. So Valentin. <laughs> Valentin DeBees in 19 yeah. on a 636 <clears throat> did a 148.1. Okay. Wow, there's well, not a lot of difference between a Superbike and a 600 there. No, no, no. And you think that there would be, but there's, yeah, it's a great track. But so, so Cole, 48. And 48. Cole, but Chuck Walla, I think those guys have done fives or sixes on 600s before. And his is, a, I don't know, he's like a 51 or something. One day. One day, yeah, one day, and you know it's gonna he's, it's gonna be like it's raining all day to him, even if it's yeah, sunny so and beautiful. Yeah, so if if he if he breaks two minutes, I think he'd be happy. So fifty nine, twelve, eleven seconds off of the fastest time. Yeah, that'd be yeah. good. Ah, Remember yeah, Chuck Walla for a long time. Two minutes was kind of the magic I don't, mark. I don't, I don't see it happening. No, I'm, I didn't say he was gonna do it. I'm just saying he'd be happy <laughs> with it. <laughs> Oh, boy. Yeah, well, I'm going to be getting on a plane tonight. Depending on when you let this out, I'm going to be getting on a plane tonight, probably getting beat up. So just so you know that. Oh, this will post in like two and a half hours. And Great. by the way, in this podcast, we're going to be doing a Rye News. Uh, there'll be a chat about American Flat Trap because they flat, flat track. Easy flat for you trap. to say, huh? I know. Because they wrapped up their season in Charlotte after a rained out Friday. Um, and that premier championship was only four points. So we'll let you know how that goes. We're going to talk about some Moto America with some Loris Baz news. And hey, if you want to support the channel, go to patreon.com slash Greg's Garage TV. Also, uh, you know, if you want to um, subscribe to my YouTube channel, it's Greg's Garage TV. I will be doing a comparison of the Ducati Multistrada V4S versus the new Royal Enfield Himalayan. I'm going to compare those. I'm going to do a compare. So you got oh a twenty five thousand dollar motorcycle versus a four thousand seven hundred dollar motorcycle. Great. I mean, you I'm know, sh- whatever. A lot of people will be sitting on the edges of their seat for that. People like to waste time on YouTube. Do you understand? Yeah, well, great. All right. Well, let's just get into it because it's time for the news <clears throat> presented by Arai. That's right. Uh 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 uh. All right. So. Arise proprietary one-piece multi-density EPS liner was developed to precisely position the most appropriate density for each part of the liner. This indispensable technique is an absolute necessity for producing a foam that maximizes glancing off. In other words, a shell that's round and smooth. Learn more at AriAmericas.com. It's the Ari difference, people. AriAmericas.com. All right. 
as the music winds down. Suckers. World Superbike News. It was announced over the weekend that Kota Nizani, teammate to Garrett Gerloff on the Yamaha R1, will remain in World Superbike with Yamaha for 2022. In the press release, it was noted Jason Pridmore, quote, despite having no experience at the circuits, the Pirelli tires and the World SBK spec Yamaha R1, Nizani was shown was shown impressive progression throughout his maiden season. I'm just reading the quote. The 25-year-old scored a top 10 finish in his debut weekend at Aragon while he especially impressed in Spain at Barcelona, unquote. Jason, what do you think about Azane sticking around in World Superbike, especially in the climate we're in now, which is a lot of one year and you're done type situation? Well, I think, you know, he's probably built up the reputation to at least deserve a second year. It's not like he's crashing a lot. We don't ever hear about Nazani flinging the thing down the road a bunch or going through a lot of equipment and, He's probably been told the first year, you know, go out there and find your way around a little bit. And he has shown a little bit better speed and racing with a few different guys um, that maybe he hasn't raced with in the past. At Jerez, he wasn't horrendous. Um, at Portimao, he wasn't really that good. So at, at Jerez, he was actually racing with a few of the guys that you'd kind of expect him to be riding with kind of his first year. So um, or you would hope that he would. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, look, it's really hard to come into the championship first year and sort of, uh, you know, with all the variables that he's had. So, you know, it, it's, I think you got to give guys two years there, especially if they're motivated, they're not going through equipment and they're showing any kind of progression. I don't think it's a bad thing for them to be able to do that. And hopefully he'll find his feet a little bit more during some off season testing and, uh, and be a little bit better next year. <clears throat> Now, since we spoke last, the provisional MotoGP 2022 calendar is out. Now, it's got to be 21 freaking races. The most we've seen is a season of 19. There are two new circuits on the docket, Indonesia's Mandalika Street Circuit and Finland's Kimi Ring. By the way, don't be like thrown by the name Street Circuit. It's, it's, it's an enclosed road course like we normally see. MotoGP is mm-hmm. not going to an actual street circuit, people. Um, things are going to kick off, Jay, at Qatar on the 6th of March, and then they're going to move to Indonesia on the 20th. After a stop in Argentina April 3rd, it's Coda April 10th, or is it? More on that in a second. Now, the season will wrap up November 6th in Valencia. Now, JP, it's a provisional calendar, as we know, but there are questions around Coda and if it's safe. Formula One returns to Coda October 24th, which is in two weekends, but before that, this weekend, NASCAR's going. I mean, what is your take on... You know, the word that continues to leak out that riders don't want to return to Coda because it is just straight up dangerous with the surface being so bumpy. Well, if they thought that the complaints from the MotoGP riders were going to be anything, wait till the <laughs> F1 cars get there. You know, those things yeah. are those things are basically on the ground as it is. And I can only imagine the comments of things that are going to be made as far as uh, the surface and things. But look. There's a part of it that you go like, man, it, it, I feel bad for them because, you know, they're willing to host an event. They've built a track that obviously is homologated to be able to run there. But then on the other hand, I don't feel bad for them at all because this is something that we've known uh, Coda has had a problem with for years and years and years. And at the end of the day, if the track isn't um, going to be able to do anything to facilitate uh, the series, both those series to come there and, and run a good, safe, solid event, um, I really do believe that the riders will, they kind of put up with a layout that I don't think many of them like anyways. I don't think the layout's any good at Coda either, but then you ha- you throw that in with the surface. And I think that it just, it probably makes it a little bit unmanageable for those guys to think about coming back. And I know some of the things that you and I talked about with some guys are just saying flat, like it's not going to happen unless they fix these, these areas. So you and I can talk about this for days. We don't have to ride on it, but um, I definitely do recognize what the riders are talking about. You know, I, I like to talk about it just from the perspective of it's going to be at least at this point, <clears throat> round one of the Moto America Superbike right. Championship for next year. I, I think it's going to be Superbike only at Coda, but nonetheless, there'll be a test there and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it, it is interesting because. What Moto what MotoGP ultimately would like, the riders would ultimately like, is the entire service to be repaved. Minimum turn two all the way to turn 10 has yeah. got to be fixed before they show up. The one thing that I did note, Jay, is that I went to um, their Coda's like Twitter feed just to see if there was any talk at all addressing these issues or anything. 
And the one thing I did notice is as of October 6th, the Formula One race is completely sold out. Wow. So even if you wanted to go, I mean, that's a couple of weeks beforehand. So but, we know but, that they're they're making money. Yeah, you but know? here's the deal. If they all of a sudden, the, let's say the F1 drivers come in there and go, oh, it's fine. Well, they're making more money probably at F1 than they are at Coda. Uh, and MotoGP, and, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, at MotoGP. Um, sorry, a little bit out of it this morning, G-Dub. Um, no worries. No, but it's like they're probably making more money with F1. I don't know what NASCAR, I don't know how much NASCAR brings into there, but two weekends back to back, you got NASCAR and F1. I wonder how many people will be going to both. And the other thing too, I've talked to a number of fans this year, and this has nothing to do with Coda at all, but this year, a lot of people were really unhappy with the MotoGP thing because of how closed off everything was, even those that had VIP mm-hmm. passes and things with the with MotoGP coming to um, to town with all the COVID restrictions and stuff. I think that a lot of the spectators felt even more distanced from being able to actually be around. And then on the flip side of it, you see that they had autograph signings and some other stuff that went on. Um, But Coda is pretty spread out. Like it's a pretty big spread out place. And if you've never been facility wise, it's, I mean, it's world-class, isn't it? I mean, it's great. The garages are awesome. The the, the viewing tower is is (laughs) unreal to go up in. That thing's so cool. Um, so there's a lot of really, really great things about Coda. Um, the thing that's just a bummer is I don't think that the layout is a rider or driver favorite. Um, and I, and the surface is just a, uh, is, is a little bit of a bummer. So it would have been nice. It would be nice if they could, if we could find a place or get a place where everything could be kind of perfect, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, over the course of this winter, <clears throat> definitely going to keep an eye on it because the possibility that MotoGP won't come to the States is, I don't know. Kind of, it kind of breaks my heart. I don't want to see it again, you know. Well, I, was, I mean, I was, we- <laughs> I was at the last GP in '94, and so I was, and that's kind of when my whole career in motorcycle racing, whether it's on a motorcycle or off, nonetheless, uh, started. You know, so I was around yeah. all those years we didn't have GP, and when it came back, it was a big deal. So, in an absolute perfect world, in a perfect world, it would just be so amazing if Road America could make the necessary changes. And I know it would take millions and millions of dollars to do it, and they don't really have the room. And I, I know all the, I know all the things, but as a layout, I think watching a MotoGP bike go around Road America would be phenomenal to see. Um, if they could make all the necessary changes, because that would be the spot. Plus, can you imagine the amount of money that that area would make? Um, oh my inf- gosh! The influx wow. of of cash and um, you know just just the financial side of it, getting a shot in the arm up in that Wisconsin area. If MotoGP came to that area, it would be it would be unreal. And it, it's uh, it's too bad because if you you know essentially if you had that Road America layout at at Austin, you'd be, you'd be laughing. It'd be, it'd be amazing. <clears throat> I couldn't imagine. We would really see the difference between a super bike and a MotoGP bike from the mm-hmm. basically midpoint of the final corner to the top of the hill, like that acceleration climbing <clears throat> the hill. <clears throat> yeah. I would love to get a stopwatch and see the difference between a super bike and a GP bike because that's so I think fun. You, yeah. That's where you'd see it a lot. Um, yeah. Our friend Bradley Smith, the former Apelier factory racer and test rider is linked to a possible return to racing. It it was reported on GP1.com that it would be in the CIB championship in Italy aboard a Kawasaki. Now, Kawasaki has not officially participated in that domestic series since 2018, barring a couple of races where Pachetti Racing, you know, had a couple of entries. Now, I spoke with Brad this uh, yesterday morning, and he had this to say about that. The, the official deal is uh, they want someone to start testing the MoTeC for them, for the CIV. So I've agreed to uh, do some winter testing for them just to kind of get them ahead of the game um, for them to use the MoTeC because they have no real experience on it. So, yeah, I don't know why GP1 kind of was like straight away jumping on it and saying, yeah, CIV and blah, blah, blah. But... Uh, Obviously, that option and that door's open to me, but the agreement at the moment is just to do a few days of uh, of testing. So if you're in that region, you get excited about Bradley Smith coming to race for you, just take a deep breath. He's got to do some stuff first. Yeah, it doesn't sound like he's uh, like it's anything close to a done deal, does it, as far as, as, far as um, him being and going racing. So we'll see how that goes out. I mean, look, we know Bradley's a, a tremendous tester. He's helped a number of teams and... Um, manufacturers along the way um 
But uh, but you know, we'll see if he goes back and he races that domestic series. He's doing something with like um, with kids and stuff, right? With and a junior program as well. I thought I thought he was linked to doing some stuff over there uh, in yeah, Spain on his on his six hundred or something. Or I thought it was program? even. I thought I they know. were he's, smaller he's, bikes, but maybe not. I have to ask him. I don't know. He's involved in a lot of stuff, <laughs> you know. And who knows? We'll talk about Bradley later on in the podcast. Maybe I'll throw his name in the mix. Yeah. But did, did we that, did we talk at all about? The split up between did we talk about this last week? The split up between uh Garrett's crew chief, him and Les, as far as that that news that came out. I can't remember if we talked about it last I, week. I don't think we actually got to it last week, no. But there yeah. was an article, there's an article on on worldsuperbike.com that posted today that literally says it's a tech dive. How important is a good relationship between rider and crew chief? And they pictured those two, you know, uh, Garrett and Les. So yeah, unfortunately it, a, that relationship a, is ending. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting case. And, you know, when I saw it, I, it actually, it caught me by surprise, to be honest, because I know less um, from the Pata days and I even spoke with him on the grid um, at Jerez and I've Garrett, I mean, I had dinner with Garrett and I mean, I've heard nothing but great. I've heard Garrett say nothing but great things about his whole crew, his whole team, everything else. Les was super energetic and, very, very positive about Garrett and wanting to kind of get him going and back on the thing again. So it's a really interesting thing. And I was listening to to our boy Steve English's podcast even about it on the Paddock, uh, Paddock Pass podcast, uh, just about the relationships and how those things break down and this and that. But everybody seems to be kind of scratching their head on this one. Like, you know, a lot of times, Greg, when you have some personal rife within a team, it, it kind of gets out there, doesn't it? I mean, it's pretty impossible to kind of hold under under a roof at times. And I find it really interesting um, that that decision was made because you wouldn't think it would have been made from either writer or crew chief because they both seemed relative. I mean, they both seemed happy with each other. So, well, and, and Jay, to be fair, even in the post that Les had put up on Instagram, I think it was Instagram. Mm-hmm. He was like, uh, I hope that we get together someday and get another opportunity to do it. Right. And so, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out like where the breakdown was with this thing, because when the last, you know, for me right now, Garrett's gone through some stuff at the beginning of this year, as we know, it's been pretty well documented. Um, But at this stage, the championship is what the championship is. What happened at Aston is so far gone in the rear view mirror that it doesn't even matter. I mean, now Yamaha, if they were to lose this championship could never ever look back at Garrett because, you know, they had a front fender fall off cause an accident they had a motor blow while he was leading um at uh at uh, catalonia a few weeks back um he's had some other technical issues has top rack so i mean the thing is is that you kind of wonder what went on there and i'm interested to see how argentina goes for garrett uh this weekend and then of course their final round of the year in indonesia but um but i i, I don't i don't know who the replacement has been and it seems like Garrett was kind of getting back on his feet. I mean, look at it this way, Greg. He finished fifth in the last race he rode. That was mm-hmm. race number two on Sunday at uh, at Portimao. He finished fifth, Greg, and Locatelli was literally a second and a half, I believe, up the road. And Garrett had come from way, way back. He's got podium pace, so I can't. You can't imagine that it's a bike setup thing or any of that stuff that that got kind of thrown about there. Or even if as Les landed anywhere. Do we know if he's landed anywhere? I don't know. Don't know. I yeah. haven't. I haven't checked his Instagram feed since. But yeah. I mean, all, all fingers point to some political thing, you know, like yeah. some scapegoat yeah. thing. Really but crazy, huh? It, it just points in that direction. I'm not saying that's the case. It just, right. I just right, wonder right, right. if that's if that's what's going on behind the scenes. That someone needed someone's head for what happened earlier on in the season. I, I don't know. You know, yeah. I don't know. And I haven't talked to Garrett about it. You know, he's been understandably so very you know quiet during yeah. you know especially since Assen. So, I mean, I'm really glad that you had a chance to go talk to him and hang out with him. I'm sure that he misses people from the States. I think he's back home. I think I saw him tweet or whatever, Instagram, that he was back home. Uh, was he? This, this little break, I think it's a stop on the way to Well, know, they're, to they're in Argentina now. I mean, they're they're they're, they're yeah, Now they are, yeah, because they, so. they get going in two days. But I think he came home for the weekend and then, and then was off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's great. And speaking of World Superbike News, Jay, I don't know if you saw this, but it just posted up that Luca Bernardi is going to be teamed up with uh, – with Barney racing on the Ducati for next year. So they, there's another rider that's, that's in the mix. I don't know much about Luca Bernardi at all, 
Uh, but there's a whole write-up on there as well. And I don't know if you saw that Tom Sykes is healthy and can is fit to come back racing, but because of the situation in Argentina, which I don't know if we touched on. I know we touched on this personally. <clears throat> I don't know if it was on the podcast or not, but yeah. um, this round in Argentina, it was really difficult to get to. You know, because there there were limited amount of flights, I guess limited amount of hotels. There's a lot of things going on. So it was rather difficult to get to is what I heard. And it kind of sounded like from the release that came out of the story that's on worldsbk.com that Sykes is healthy enough, but they had to make the decision earlier. It's not like they can make the decision on Wednesday and just jump on a plane and fly to Argentina. It's not yeah. really the cl- current climate that we live in. So he had he's having to miss this race. Um, and Eugene Laverty is going to fill in for him again. So uh, that that's horrible. I mean, I feel bad for Sykes. The guy's fast. He's a good dude. He, you know, is ready to go. It's his last two world superbike races, possibly of his career. And he's got to sit home and watch it healthy. It's a toughie. I actually spoke to him briefly, really briefly in um, Portobao. And I've actually had recent interactions with Eugene. So Eugene kind of told me about a week ago that he might get another crack at it at, uh, at Argentina, um, it's it's a it's kind of a weird story because I think that they're you know no I don't know Tom very well but reading through some of the lines and I've met him you know like I said I've met him a few times and hung with him a little bit I don't was it you that was with me I don't think it was um, I ran into him at a I ran into him the second time I really got to talk to him at a Starbucks up in Monterey and we just wrapped out for forty minutes or something um, and then when I saw him in Portimao he looked healthy he looked healthy. He was going out and watching all the races. Um, you know, I don't know if there's, I don't know if he feels a bit slighted maybe, Greg, that he's getting replaced next year by Redding. Um, yeah. And now Baz has been signed. So you kind of got to start to think to yourself, the Baz signing probably would have started, the talk would have started at Portimao, wouldn't it? And that seat that Baz took could have been, maybe could have been Tom's seat. Because I know they wanted to keep him kind of in the BMW family, uh, but maybe I, you know who knows. But it seems a little bit rare, weird that he's not going because by all points he looked completely fit, completely healthy at Portimao, and now we're two weeks on. You definitely would think that he'd be ready to race this weekend. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a little bit mysterious to me that one. Yeah, it certainly is. Could be but anyway. Could be more there. So yeah. that's your news presented by Arai. Well, I got one more thing to talk to you about. In the oh, news, because okay. Greg does, you, you've done a great rundown here, but there's, you know, we talked about this last week on the podcast, but did you see some of the comments? Um, you know, I, Kenneth Safoglu actually came out and oh, yeah, that's right, somewhat defended Anchu in the incident at Moto 3. And let me explain how I feel about it. Like, like in, in every sport around the world, it doesn't matter where it is. When things start getting out of hand, there's always going to be the scapegoat, there's always going to be the one guy that they're going to make a, kind of, uh, okay, this is it. The line has been drawn. We can't have this happen anymore. And Anchu, to me, did get this penalty. But this stuff has been going on in Moto3 and in Supersport 300 uh, junior classes. This is knifing people off, whether it be purposely or on accident, has been going on for years. And now, because of the climate of what we've had happen this year in our kind of our junior classes, let's call them, um, with the tragedies that we've had, I think race direction now they're starting to take a much bigger, like, okay, we're going to start clamping down on these guys. So Anchu's a little bit of the scapegoat. Cause I don't believe that he's the, obviously the only guy that's done something like this, but it's kind of weird and kind of coincidental that what you and I talked about last week on the podcast, Kenan has come out and kind of defended it. Yeah, Andy was like, this is the way we ride. You know, we ride aggressively, you know, that type of stuff. So it kind of mm-hmm. also reinforced what you had said about Top Rack's comments on, on how things ride. But I don't know. I mean, you know, but I've let's never be been honest. A- Kenan, if Kenan got roughed up on the racetrack back in the day, there was nobody that cried more. No, there's there's no doubt about it. I mean, we know that from when Hayes you know, wouldn't take Kennan's crap and, and gave it right back to him and yeah. all that kind of stuff. All you have to do is go back and watch some races. Guy was throwing his hand in the air and getting all, and Josh just kept putting on aggressive passes. And it was like, yeah, you just did that to me. What's the problem? Yeah. Now, I don't know yeah. Kennan, so I don't want to, you know. I don't know him either. His, no, I, uh, you know, I don't yeah. I want to call his question or his integrity into question at all. No. But I just know 
from the racetrack. And I know from the comments that I read, which of course, some are his quotes, some are, you know, conjecture on his quotes, but bottom line is, is that there is something to be said about weaving on a straightaway and causing an accident. Should Dennis Anju be suspended for two races because of that action? You're right, Jay. At some point, someone's going to have to, you know, make it. We, we've seen in Moto three people weave on the straightaway before, but we've seen people react to it in a way that's pushed people off into the grass on a straightaway at uh, Mugello, right? Yeah. Like, and it's so, yeah. It's one of those situations where you're just like, I guess it's time. And unfortunately, that is the way it works. You yes. know, I mean, we we all have that 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 moment when. A, a police car pulls into the median to start pulling people over and he just gets settled and he doesn't have the radar on yet or ready to pull someone over and you speed by and you go, phew, I just dodged that bullet, you know, yep. and then you're the 10th person in line and you get picked out of the lineup. That's Sometimes right. these things just happen. And for Dennis Anju, I think that it's an appropriate situation to try to get Moto3 uh, riders kind of reeled in because, you know, we've talked about, the weaving, we've talked about the schoolyard speeds and qualifying and all the stuff that they're doing to, because it's a big business, man. And there's a lot on the line. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No. And, you know, right now they're, they're going to have to do, they're doing whatever they can to, I think, I don't really know if there's a solution to, to the incidents that we've seen. I, I honestly, I can't think of a good one because. Yeah. The, good, the solution is don't race. And that's it, just it, not, that's not what it, we do. Right. But I think that these, I think that the organizing bodies are trying to show that they're trying to do things and whatever they can to make racing safer. And that at least that they're showing that they want to try to do something. But at the end of the day, if you've got, you know, if you've got 44, 43, um, 30 year old guys on the grid that are all racing, you know, one right behind the other stuff happens. And it's, it's not good. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying any of that's good. I'm saying that the racing is just extremely tight. We've over the last five years. I mean, Greg, when you think about it, why did Moto America start? They started because we were trying to get more youth programs going to where we could push our riders through Moto America to get them onto the world stage. Well, that's been pretty successful in the side, in the side that we've seen a lot more youth programs with the Ovalis and current and older riders doing whatever they can to help junior kids come along in race. So of course they've got to go somewhere and they've got to be put in front of the world stage. So all these junior cup kind of classes, the moto threes and the world 300 super sport class and such it's right now it's very, it's thriving, isn't it? It's very healthy. It is. The other thing to consider too, Jason is the fact that, Motorcycle racing is more popular in other countries. And Correct. although we live in a bubble here of motorcycle racing, you know, unless it's some extreme thing like Steve Rapp flying over the bars and tumbling down into turn one at Road America, generally what happens with us doesn't make national news. It's not going to make national news, but it does in other yep. countries. And it is a deal. It is in the UK. We've seen you know, uh, headlines from papers about incidents like that, that happened. We know Spain, we know Italy and so on. And so it is important at least for leadership to look like they are trying to do something to reel this issue in, to respond to it for us, because it's no impact on the national news here. I mean, there's more of an impact, which to me absolutely sucks. If a Kardashian says something that's bad and or someone says something and they're going to cancel him versus a, a child dying on a moto three bike somewhere around the world. That's not the United States, you know, right. like no one cares in the state. So I think that it's important to understand that we're looking at world championships here or the impact that racing has on the world, even when it is CIV stuff versus how we report here and how much of a big deal it is here. So that management has got to do something. Yeah. You know, so yeah. that's the part. Spot. It's a really tough spot to be in. And I can honestly it is, say that yeah. if you and I were sitting around a round table and we said, okay, what are we going to do to make this better? I, you uh, and I would probably sit there and look at each other with a, uh, with blank paper and, and a pencil in hand going, well, what can we do? It's, it's a, uh, you're, you're a little bit handcuffed. So mm -hmm. I don't, I don't really know what the solution is, but anyways, Greg, this last weekend, AFT concluded, concluded their year, American flat track series. I know you said you were going to go to Charlotte. They didn't get the race run on Friday because of uh, weather, um, you didn't go back Saturday, did you? 
you were no, going to, but didn't. No. Yeah. Yeah. I was down there. I was down there <laughs> Friday and, and just a huge thank you to everybody involved with American flat track. They were so gracious when I arrived, you know, myself and my buddy, John, we got passes and Jay, I did one lap and one lap took me nearly five hours. It was awesome. You know, just talking to people, catching up with folks. It was rain delayed. So it was the yeah. perfect situation, Yeah, but it was awesome. They had hospitality. We got some food, but it was great catching up with everybody. Um, yeah, it was just bum riding at Sydney racing, but you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, I caught it. I, I watched it. Uh, cause you know, I, there was a, a big championship battle, obviously, uh, between uh, Meese and and Bauman. And so, at the end of the day at Chuckwalla, we, you know, we were having dinner, and Kevin had it in. They they were watching it live, and so we went in there. And I literally, I got there. I guess they ran three or four mains right in a row, and the main class obviously uh, was the battle. And and Meese ends up coming out on top of the uh, of the point standings at the end of the day. Um, but when you look at it, the race itself. The race itself is going to be known for the incidents that happened in the red flags oh and stuff. Oh, my God. Um, Kobe Carlisle clips a, clipped a hay bale and looked like he just bent his leg back and snapped it. I, I, I don't actually know if that is the case, but it looked like he probably had a broken leg. Um, but uh, And then, of course, the, the crash with Sammy Holbert and Bauman themselves. Um, Briar Bauman was, was just gruesome. It was just horrendous. And, you know... It takes away a little bit because Davis Fisher got his first uh, first national win ever over Meese and, of course, our boy J.D. Beach, who looked like he was in line to win that race. And, you know, I've been a little bit critical on the side of that when you look at the dirt track stuff, and I know you spent some time in that paddock, um, the racing is this year for me personally, the ones I have watched, I know I haven't watched all of them, has been pretty boring. Um, the finale of the last sort of five laps of that was really good to watch. but when I started to watch the race, I'm like, look at these guys. They're racing right up against the wall. Mm-hmm. Like, like, I don't know what can be done in dirt track. And I, and I don't want to get off on a tangent here either, because, you know, we've got to praise the fact that me ends up winning a second championship, but, um, Bauman and Carlisle both caught hay bells. Bauman got a little out of shape, pushed him wide and hit the hay bells. That's protecting a wall. And that's what made him actually crash. Both guys crashed, touching hay bales that are protecting a wall. Um, the racing, the riders are incredible. Like that is never anything in doubt, but they're, it's not evolved at all. It looks like now they're on bigger, faster bikes, but the tracks are still the same shitty surface. I know it rained, but it's like, they're just up racing against walls. I don't know how more nights like what we saw there don't happen more often. Yeah. It's a really difficult series you know because you're reliant really on on uh, like other sports like horse the horse you know horsey stuff right where they have like maybe horse racing greg like horsey stuff i guess horse racing (laughs) uh you know like the track that they were on they do a lot of the the modifieds and the dirt stuff because it's right outside the speedway and of course right right next to the z max drag strip i mean it's a great facility there and i know that because it got pushed to saturday uh, at the NASCAR race, because they were having that, whatever the second tier NASCAR series is. I don't follow it anymore. It used to be Bush. It's whatever it yeah. is. Yeah. Not Xfinity. I think Xfinity is the big one. But whatever. whatever the, I used to follow it all, too, and I don't even know what it is. Yeah, anymore. I don't know. But whatever the series is on Saturday, apparently what they had said uh, was that um, if you had a ticket from that race, you could go to flat track for like 10 bucks. So they were enticing people over. So to have it at Charlotte makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. Number one, it's a big NASCAR event. Daytona Motorsports Group, which owns the American Flat Track Series, has ties with NASCAR. Obviously, they're based in Daytona, Florida, where NASCAR is based, blah, 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 blah. Um, they had a great place to do the banquet, you know, the next night and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, looking at that race in J, I, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, for those that didn't see it, Briar Bauman, who was four points behind Mies in the championship, is out front in the lead. And then he just, the bike just got upset. He hit a bump. The thing kind of tank slapped around. He gets pushed wide. The pure skill for him to get that bike turned, though, in a direction, Jason, that didn't have him go straight into that wall. He was able to fight the bike and wrestle the bike and get it almost to the point where he was down a straightaway. But you're right. He ran out of racetrack. He ended up the hay bales into the wall or whatever. And then Sammy Halbert, who was in third place a little ways back, 
when the bike bounced back onto the, in the middle of the racetrack, Halbert well, hit nowhere it else for it to go, is there? Nowhere else for it to go. And Halbert hit it head on, and he was, Jay, give me a number. What, what is 20, he, 20, 20 feet? feet? 20 feet in the air. He got launched then, straight in the air. If nobody's seen uh, it, go to Jason Wygant's. I saw it on, well, I saw it live, and then, of course, they didn't show it. And you and I talked about Brad Jones producing the show, uh, why they didn't show it again, because they, they weren't sure how Sammy's condition was. And the thing yes. is, is that he went he went out of sight, out of camera view. That's how high he was. And then flops back down on the ground like he just got done jumping out of a building. Like face first. Face yeah. first, jumped. I mean, Ugh. it was it was awful. And yeah, I just, it, it's, he ends up breaking an arm and a leg and uh, hurting his, his eye. His eye was sewn eye. shut. I think his, yeah. yeah. And then goes to the bank so with a lucky. smile on his face. With a smile so on his face, bro. And and it, dude, it was cool. I mean, I got to catch up with Sammy. You know, I've I've been around for some. Uh, unwittingly, I've been around for some of the benchmarks in his racing career. His first race win, I got to interview him when I was a pit reporter. And you know, so yeah. he's been to Star School, uh, yeah. your old Star School over yeah. the years. And he's he I like Sammy cool. a lot. Yeah, he's yep. a really good dude. He's in his yep. early thirties now, and and it, that made it even more like more impactful when he hit the ground. I was like, what just happened? But luckily yeah. everything was okay. They restart the race. Davis Fisher gets that, that win and Mies gets to cruise home for the championship. But yeah, I don't know, Jay, it's, it's a really difficult thing because, you know, there's so many people in that paddock that you and I know, and we absolutely love as people. And yeah, hundred percent. It's the, the whole world seems to be migrating towards safer racing, especially on our side, on the road racing side, not only homologated tracks, Moto America at home, you know, not racing on tracks that we don't can't race in the rain, you know, trying to keep that focused, but the advancement in, in equipment, airbags and those types of things that are primarily developed in road racing. Um, we just don't see the ability for flat track to really evolve because your high point right. earlier the was the best word you can use because it's, it's literally like the, 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 they don't have enough places to ride. You can't do a live, you can't do live shows. Like you can't do live no. TV with American Flat Track because of no. all the red flags, all the delays, all the crap that goes on. If it yeah, rains, whether the, whether, the whether it's rain, exactly, yeah, yeah. There's so yeah. many factors. It's difficult. It's a very yeah. difficult series. And so you know, in this day and age, they at least have the ability to stream and do some things that allow it to be live. But then you have to have that hardcore audience. It's a difficult proposition. And the bikes are faster. They're more sophisticated than they used to be. They do have electronic aids. Most of them. You know, like yep. not every, not every bike does, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's hold your breath, hold your nuts type racing. You know, it's definitely, you know, it comes from the roots. I think Rispoli said it the best to me recently when I was at flat track, I got to catch up with our boy Rispoli, who's obviously two time, you know, national road race champion. And he was like, look, man, you know, road racing is a champagne series and flat tracks, a beer series, you know, you, you yep. should be popping a beer on the on the podium, not champagne in flat track. And, and I understand what he's saying there. It's not a derogatory comment. It's, it's, this is kind of grassroots gritty, you know, people with their hands dirty or turning wrenches and because they just broke into a motor type of class. And sometimes that's the attitude you have to have. I think when you strap on the helmet and you're racing at some of these places where, you know, you're right up against a wall, right up yep. against a hay bale. And, yeah, and honestly, just, Jay, the thing is, is like, I remember before I ever started racing, ever had any aspirations of doing any TV. I mean, I never thought about it, never thought about racing. I went to Phoenix and watched a, um, an AMA Superbike race in Phoenix. I don't know, Jay, I want to say it was 91 or 92. Oh, wow. And a long time ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. As a fan. And you would come up on the banking and the banking had bails. You know what I mean? So oh, yeah. how yeah. long ago was that? 30 years ago? It's a long time. I mean, that's, yeah, the, that's the problem, though, is it's, it's, you, see yeah. it, you see it all. I mean, and like you say, some of the, the horse track facilities and stuff that they go to where they used to run the miles and those kind of things. It's like there were posts that were that were there uh, instead of walls, but, you know, they're covered in hay bales. If you made it through the hay bales, if a bike cleared out the hay bales, you went into those posts and things. But, look, I think that overall, I mean, when you look at flat track, it's um, – it's it's relatively safe because by all standards they don't have a lot of those big gigantic incidents that we saw over the course of that weekend and we have it happen in our series too where we have the occasional crazy accidents but the problem is there's nowhere for the bikes to go everything else seems like it's evolved a bit but they're still riding these same crap racetracks and actually that track looked like it would probably be good if the conditions would have been perfect 
but you just can't get away from the fact that these guys are literally sliding up to walls. That's what they're doing. They're sliding up to the walls. And um, yeah, it was just a shame to see, uh, to see it kind of end that way. It would have been so much more fun. You know, Bauman was leading that race and kind of, kind of getting away from Jared and yeah, no, he was definitely, you know, and, um, but then she gets, gets it a little bit wrong and you kind of thought, Oh, this is going to be great. Now Mies is going to catch up. And it was just strange that, that, you know, and then from the camera angle, originally you're like, Whoa, what, what caused him to crash? But it was, again, he touched a hay bell that's on the racetrack touches a hay bell that's protecting him from running into a wall. I mean, Greg, there's no, no saying, but if you look at that crash over, um, had that hay bale not been there, he might've still saved it from getting into the wall and probably mm. not fallen. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's tough. I mean, what do you That's do there? Tough one. Hay tough bales. One. I don't yes. know. I don't know. But in the other classes too, you know, um, Corey Texter wins a championship, but we got to talk about Dallas Daniels. Dallas Daniels ended up wrapping up his championship as well in the AFT singles class, his second in a row. So yeah, great for Dallas. And uh, you know, he sounds like he's the guy right now in that championship of who are pe- who people are looking at moving forward, even and that kind of stuff. So um, great for Dallas. I, I do wish that he was racing some Moto America stuff because yeah. he was so good on a road race bike as well. But who knows? You know, he's young. Might might get a chance to see that happen again. I have no doubt he's probably going to be moving up next year um, to the big class. So, you know, we wish him nothing but the best. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. So congratulations, Flat Track, on a successful year. And our boy Mies, I'm sure I'll get him on in the next couple of weeks. We'll talk to Jared about his championship run because, Jason, if there was one season that wasn't smooth, it was it was Jared Mies. I mean, he came into the season high as a kite. Then he got yeah. hurt, was in the hospital, and he really had to fight his way back. So it'll be interesting to talk to our boy Mies. And, oh, by the way, if you saw his post that he posted up today, if you read all the way to the bottom, he said something about um, – Oh, and by the way, for all those haters out there, you can go to like, you know, whatever Flat Track's website, AmericanFlatTrack.com and buy my uh, Anyone But Me's t-shirt. So I bought one. I got one on the way. Oh, Did yeah. you? That's awesome. Oh, hell yeah. It's not as good as the Maladin <laughs> one. You remember the Maladin <laughs> one? Anyone had the had the circle with the line through it and all that stuff. This one's just just white text on a black shirt that just says Anyone But Me's. But the Maladin one was just a slightly more creative it was more like you know ghostbusters but uh yeah 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 i remember that now yes, yes. yeah anyway That's so good. all right let's move on with the podcast Jay, because <clears throat> let's talk about loris bass i mean you know we talked about it last week and now again gp1.com broke a story a couple of days ago now that loris bass is headed to world superbike on the bmw they initially broke the news there's been no official word yet but jay i've done some digging and it, it sounds pretty legit and now we know that Baz has come out and said, thank you so much to Moto America and all the people there. I won't be returning. I'll let you know what my news is. Um, the Warhorse HSBK Ducati New York team sent out a press release saying some stuff. Um, you know, Bobby Sheck, the, the team principal. Now, he said this, Jay, and this is what I find, found was pretty interesting. He, re- he put, quote, the Warhorse HSBK Racing Ducati New York team thanks Baz for his great work throughout the 2021 season, says Bobby Sheck, team principal. Mm-hmm. Quote, Loris helped us further develop the V4R for competition here in the U.S. And in a way, we helped him get back on the world stage where he belongs, unquote. Now, when the press release came out, well, again, there's still no official word where Baz is going. But if you look at Loris Baz and saying, I'll let you know what my future says. And if you look at that press release, we kind of know where he's going. I mean, it's oh, now yeah. like the yeah. worst kept secret ever. Yep. But Jay, let's talk for a second. Um, before we get into who could possibly take his spot, we do know that that team will have a super sport entry in the Ducati V2 uh, in super sport next year and running the Daytona 200. And we know that they're going to be back with a super bike, at, at least one. I mean, one, one is what it is. But let's talk about the impact, in your opinion, that Loris Baz has had on the um, uh, the image, I guess you could say, that Moto America has uh, around the world? Well, you know, when you look at Loris, I don't know if there could have been a better guy that could come over because um, he's super well-respected as a rider. Uh, he's such a good dude. That's the cool thing about Loris is he's, he's – and I've seen, you know, um, I think I saw you wrote back. I You know, when he, he came out with his – little thing about being in America and how he, he came over here and now he's got a family over here as far as, you know, people that he's met and things. And I think I saw a post from you. And I think I even saw a post from Paul Carruthers um, just thanking him because 
he was always available for an interview. He was always, always put himself out there, always smiling at the track and just seemed like genuinely really happy to be here. Um, so he was a great ambassador for Moto America. And I think the fact that he did a full season here and then he went over and, um, kind of, uh, took the spot of Chaz when, you know, when Chaz got hurt, I mean, what an opportunity you think about how life works sometimes. And you think had Chaz not gotten injured, um, that opportunity would have never opened itself up for, for Loris to be able to go over. And, and he took full advantage of what he needed to do when he went to Jerez and then he went to Portimao. He didn't tip off the bike. Um, he did a ton of laps. He, like I said, he told me he didn't even touch the bike at Jerez. He said, Jason, we didn't even touch it. And, and then Portimao, small little changes here and there to the motorcycle. So when you sit there and, and you think about the opportunity that was given him, how he took full advantage of it. Um, but more importantly, He's over there telling everybody about what Motor America is and how great it is. And, you know, I think he enjoyed himself over here. Genuinely, like, loved it. Loved his team. Loved everything about it. So that's probably going to open the doors for possibly seeing some weather riders come over here. And um, I just think it made Motor America look pretty well, especially when you see the results he got as well. Yeah. And, you know, when the news kind of broke, when, when I, you know, with all this stuff kind of started happening, uh, GP one had posted an article and GP one's a, a very good website, but sometimes their credibility is in question, but this particular case, they had said, I think it was late Sunday night, maybe early in the morning, you know, Sunday morning or Monday morning, uh, Europe time that Baz has signed with BMW that he's going to this, this, you know, second team on the third kind of factory bike, more or less. Uh, so I started reaching out to a bunch of people that we know, trying to get some confirmation. I reached out to Loris, no response. That usually tells me that there's something going on. I also reached out to Paolo Chibati from uh, Ducati Corsa, spoke with him, spoke to one of the team principals here in the U.S. on the Warhorse team, and spoke to, to Bobby Sheck as well. And, you know, the, the bottom line is, is that we know Baz is gone by now, but the team really helped facilitate his trip over to Europe, and they sent his crew chief. And, you know, the, the one thing is, is that what it sounded like to me was that Baz already had a contract to stay in the United States. And that one of the things that the contract kind of said was, if you get an offer from a factory, we will definitely let you go. Like, I have to yeah. give props to the team for not holding Loris Baz back from going back to World Superbike. And he always wanted to be back in World Superbike. You know what I mean? Like, I think well, yeah. he knows the possibility of GP might have passed him by at this point. I think he's 28 years old. He's been there before. He's a taller rider, that type of stuff. But World Superbike is definitely a good fit for him. And I think it's great that the team is like, you know what? We really love this guy. He really had a great season for us. Ups and downs, no doubt. But it's great. So now the question turns to, Jason, who? I can tell you that I know some names on the list, but I can't really talk about anything specifically because I promised I wouldn't. So why do you bring it up? Why do you bring it up? Because I, because what I want to know is if you look at the landscape, right. And, and, you know, some of this for sure, I'm going to be capping. Some of it is definitely, you know, fishing or whatever. But if you look at some names available out there, there is without question, some talent that's available. Number one. Yeah. We have stuff over here, right. And overseas too. Over here, overseas. I mean, Tom Sykes, hey, what's he doing? We talked about him. Say, Chaz, yes. Chaz Davis, what's Chaz yep. up to? You know what I mean? We have riders yeah, here. Because Chaz never really closed the door on like, he kind of said he was retiring from from World Superbike, but he never actually came right no. out and said, he's like, exactly. I'm, I've opened the door for doing some testing. I mean, why wouldn't you think about putting Chaz on a Ducati since it's a bike he's been on for the last however many years? Why not? You know, not, right? Would, would he come back though? The only thing with Chaz correct. is he's been here before, so yeah. I'm not sure if he if he'd look at it as like, oh man, back to the states, like really? I gotta, but who knows? I, I haven't talked to Chaz. I don't know. What about Bradley Smith? He was another name I was gonna bring up. Like he's a talented rider. He's a world caliber rider. He he knows, you know, electronics. He knows. I don't know if he has a relationship with Ducati. What I am saying is there is talent out there that's available. Um, can anybody replace Loris Baz in terms of all the things that you spoke about? off the track, you know, about how, how nice he is and how willing he was to do accommodating. Stuff and yeah. Accommodating. And you're like, you're saying, Jay, I have seen that guy in low times. I mean, this season, you know, hurt coming right back from the hospital injured, you know, yep. not being able to write still with a smile on his face, still with a positive attitude. 
I mean, you props to BMW. And if you look at what BMW is going to have next year, you have Michael Vandemark, you have Scott Redding, and you have Loris Baz. You're talking about riders that are very similar in size. So you're going to have a very interesting direction to develop that bike in, in terms of parts. And I think yep. that's going to be beneficial for BMW as a team. Yeah. You know, and obviously we know that Loris knows motorcycles, Jason. He yep. knows, unlike you, who knows nothing about electronics, nothing about setup. True. You couldn't turn a wrench to save nope. your life. That guy gets out and rides and rides and rides and rides, especially the first session when he hasn't been to a track because all he's doing is building a knowledge base, whether that's yeah, getting used that's, to the tires, getting used to the bike, and then feedback. Loris is one of those guys where I said, hey, what's the difference between the two bikes? He's like, Jason, I have no clue. <laughs> he, he looked at me straight in the face he's like i have no idea he goes i just know it's one of the best bikes i've ever ridden and he's like we haven't touched anything and he just literally got on the thing and rode that's all he was doing when he went over there um yeah but you know so. he doesn't need to know that this is a 2022 experimental swing arm and right. we have a 2019 yeah. up braced i like i'm making stuff up but yep. he doesn't need to know that stuff and nor and nor did you that's you know you needed to know a little bit more than you knew you're pretty stupid no, it's no question. Yeah, I don't. I don't deny that. Yeah, yeah. I'm an idiot. No, but but <laughs> that said, like sometimes when you get a really really good crew chief, and this is something that you never had the experience of because you were never fast enough. But when you have a great crew chief, you you can you can be kind of stupid because they're going to help you get through it. And I, I just to, always figured I always blame myself. Anyways, I was always like ah. It's not the bike. It's me. I got to figure out how to ride around this. I got to figure oh, out how to Oh, I thought you were saying you blamed yourself for me being slow. That's what I thought you were saying. Like, you weren't a good enough coach. I you weren't a good enough mentor. No. You didn't give hey. me enough good advice. I yeah. thought that's where you were going with that. No, no. Because there's only so much you can do. And when you have somebody that has, like, zero to, like, literally no talent, it's hard to get them to, you know, see the full picture of getting better at certain things. So, yeah. Well, okay. Well, that's the Loris Baz thing. The whole thing is wide open. Why don't you preview what's going on this weekend in World Superbike for us then? Well, you know, this week, this weekend, man, it is on. I mean, it's like, it's going to be interesting this weekend to see how things go. What is it? 24 points now between Baz and Ray? Yeah, um, 24, it's, 25. It's, yes, and I think that um, it's all there, isn't it? I mean, in a way, in a, in a way, yeah. I, I would have much rather seen Top Rack's bike break rather than him toss it at the last round because I thank goodness he didn't get hurt. Um, but in a way it was kind of a good thing because it kind of brought a little bit more excitement back to the championship because it was looking like we were going to go to Argentina and he was going to have like a 50 point lead or whatever it was going to be. And, um, you know, we're going to be kind of lucky now that it's a, you know, only 24 points and these guys still have six races, Greg, don't forget. They got the two super pole races where Johnny's been pretty strong. Now they don't pay as many points for that. But I just think it's going to be interesting. And Scott Redding's going to be looking to try to win. He still has an outside chance at the championship. I mean, look, these two guys, all three of them now, it's getting pretty chippy, it seems. Um, there's a little bit more finger pointing of, you know, it, it's it's kind of funny, like when you look at Redding, because he kind of analyzes both of the guys. And I really like Scott because he wears his heart on his sleeve. And he is more or less he gives you a different perspective. Sometimes the perspective of when top rack went underneath him at most, I think backfired on him because it's like, it's good, hard racing. It's two corners from the end. It's every man for themselves. And then on the flip side of it, I thought it was amazing what he said in the press conference last week uh, about the fender. Did you see that? Yeah. I think you told us about it in the podcast. <laughs> I think I, like, I you, think, you think I did. the fender, the, fen the fender broke because of contact. Possibly. <laughs> he said, yeah. he said, you know, if I was the crew of, of Yamaha, I wouldn't, I kind of wouldn't, basically what he's saying is I wouldn't necessarily take the blame for it if I was working on that motorcycle, because as many times as he runs into somebody, he could have knocked the thing loose. And I thought, wow. But see, that's the stuff that we, sometimes if you don't see it, you don't think about it. You know, a lot of people will be like, how does a fender come loose? Well, maybe he got into the side of somebody. It, he obviously got into the side of somebody in that race and Redding saw it. So, um, I just think he's there to pick, scoop up the points and it would be pretty amazing if Redding was somehow able to win this championship and then take the number one plate to BMW next year. Um, not that that's probably going to happen, but I'm saying there's just so much going on in that championship right now that the next two weekends are going to be fun. And this weekend's going to be great because I get to sit at home and watch it all. Yeah. You and a bunch of other MotoGP stars. 
Yeah, but we're never. Was, I know, and they're all excited. I haven't seen the video yet, but I know that there's a video of all the MotoGP guys talking about it. Did you yeah. watch that? Did you watch it? I didn't. I didn't watch it, but there is a story, like a you know a text story that talks about Quattararo and Binder and Ross. Oh, really? And how they're just praising how thrilling World Superbike is this season. Yeah, you know, it is good. Miller it is. It is it's, good. It's really good. It's yeah. It's it's a shame that we don't have World Superbike available on like normal television for the masses. You have to get it, but that's the key, people. That's the hot setup, man. Get the video pass. I mean, it's the, so worth again, it. the video passes. I, I'm on all all of them. I got the Moto America Live. I've got Moto GP. I've got World Super. I got them all. Like I don't even because yeah. I hardly watch TV anymore. I watch no news. I watch nothing. I watch, you know, I watch it all just live. It's the best way to do it. I mean, I just sit on Twitch watching other people play video games. Meanwhile. I have a Twitch channel and nobody watches. No one. Yeah. I get on there and stream for two, three hours at a time and no one's watching, Jason. No one Good. cares. Good. Uh, you should. Why don't you go get on a bicycle? Are the Battle I, of the Olds happening this year? Are you guys doing that? I don't know. Hey, hey, if anybody's listening to the podcast and you want Battle of the Olds to happen again, why don't you send an Instagram message Jason Pridmore's way or my way? I bet they what? hate the fact that we talk about this stuff, but I got to bring in my ringer. If, if you guys are going to do it this year, I got a ringer. I don't know. Who? No, it's just Colb and I. No, What's, I got who's one the other ringer? guy I want to bring in. Who, you? No. Did you mention that you were one second off the pace in Stock 1000 at Brainerd? I, I was, it was more than that probably, but I don't think Corey Alexander will ever let me ride his bikes again because from the time <laughs> I got off that bike, his season went straight to shit. So Corey's probably Garbage. like... Keep garbage away from me. Uh, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I got Jeff, I got Jeff White on speed dial. He's ready to come in. Oh, dude, you're out of your skull. Don't even start. You are not bringing <laughs> that, that, that bad childhood history into my. You're not doing it. It'd just be so good. Be so good. Anyways, that's it. Ah, that's, that's it for it. this podcast. What do we got? People. We got yeah. Like, what do we got? So you know, I mean, for race got, calendar, I mean, like Enduro Cross is in Prescott Valley this weekend, and World Superbike obviously is Argentina. AMA National Enduro is in Sand Springs, Oklahoma. There's you know World Enduros in France. FIM Motocross is in Spain. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of stuff going on. At least we'll have uh, World Superbike to talk about, and the following week we'll have MotoGP. Perfect. When they get to Malaysia and stuff like nah, that, so gonna, we do have some racing left great. in this season. I'm uh, looking and, forward to. I'm I, I'm looking forward to uh, getting up to Thunder Hill tonight, riding all day there tomorrow, coming home, and then having a weekend at home. I'm stoked, and um, yeah, gonna do that. Hey, also, mm-hmm. talking about how neurotic Simon has become with like riding. He, oh, he, we're back on this. Yeah, go ahead. Well, might be going. I might be going back over to Portimao in November. November? Yeah, like two, three weeks. I thought you were saying next year. Well, yeah, that too. Hmm. So, so Who basically. Who are you going to Portimao with? Like, what, you're talking yeah, about well, the ride, I, right? Yeah, but check this out. They got the port around, Portimao round of MotoGP, right? It's like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Word. Then we're going to ride Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then rip over to Valencia for the final MotoGP race. You're a douchebag. How's that for a little schedule? Possibly, I don't know if it's going to happen. But how's that for not inviting me? How's how's that for you know? I got a passport. All right, I know how to ride a motorcycle. That'd be embarrassing though, wouldn't it? I was fast in ninety five six. When was I fast? Ninety six. You were never actually fast though. Really. Fast and but but yeah. Anyways, I don't know if it's going to happen because it's a bit short notice. But my friends over there overseas are working on a couple things right now, mm. and. I mean, me, Simon, and Cole might just jump on a flight. And I'm getting hit up by so many people now about like how if you start these like Euro things, we want to go. So, I mean, next year it's going to happen. I'm definitely going to be taking – I'm just doing it because it's fun. I just like going over. It's fun to go over there and ride different racetracks and see some places. There's still a couple of tracks I haven't ridden that I want to go have a look at. Portimao being one of them, Jerez being another, maybe Mugello. Coda. Yeah, it's not on my to-do list. I think for me – yeah, not happening. I think uh, for me, it it it's uh it's really fun seeing your friends stoked to go to other like go see some of the places around the world. And these guys got to go to all the Moto America tracks this year, and so I think I think we're gonna expand it now that COVID hopefully is loosening up. It was really easy to it was really really easy to fly overseas last time out. So, I mean, yeah, we might just. That's why I was asking you about like you know our plans a little bit. 
moving uh, forward. What do you mean? If we're going to break up or not? MotoGP. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got to find that. I got to get some solid plans about that if we're going to Valencia or not. Yeah. yeah. But I might be able to go in there anyways. I don't know. So I know uh, I have a I have an eye appointment on November 3rd. and it. Oh, it, my God. Well, dude, you got to schedule a month out. It's insane. Yeah. Well, you, know, you know, people are busy. I don't know what the heck's that going on. That shows your age right there. You'd rather go to an eye appointment than drop everything and head <laughs> over to a race or go ride a track somewhere in the world. You'd rather go to an eye appointment. Uh, that, that's my mom, more, my mom that's, she's the that's best. That's more like, a commentary hey, mom, on me fitting uh, into leathers than anything else. I'll say to my mom, I'll say, hey, mom, uh, next week, can you blah, blah, blah. Oh, I can't, honey. Oh, why is that, mom? Well, because I, I've got a, I've got a, I got a nail appointment at two o'clock in the afternoon. Nail appointment <laughs> can't cancel that, right? Like that's and her the whole day is based off of that appointment. The whole day, I'm so. joking, of course I'm joking. Yeah, I know how you are. Oh, you know how I am. Okay, yeah, if it was a Big Mac or a donut shop, you'd it'd be if like you knew how I was. You would have called me offline and invited me. Hey, bro, clear your schedule. We're going to Portimao to ride motorcycles. But Cole now- doesn't want you there. He's intimidated <laughs> by you. <laughs> Oh my God. See, that's, that's battle of the olds. Battle of the olds needs to go away from Chuck Walla and we need to go somewhere else where he hasn't ridden and I haven't ridden or, you know what, even somewhere else. It wouldn't be a battle. Oh my God. I'll report next week on everything. Hey everyone. Thanks for listening to our banter. Have a great weekend. Enjoy world Superbike. See you next week.